Attention Patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. I am here today. Uh, as promised, we're going to have a show on impeachment and a specific show on impeachment that will go through uh, the constitutional issues, just a little bit of history on impeachment, and who's been impeached, who's not been impeached, and that kind of thing, just so we could get an understanding of what's going on. Uh, as JC and I have been mentioning this week, that we, we fully believe that the House will, uh, e- in spite of Dianne Feinstein's, no, not Dianne Feinstein, R- Nancy Pelosi, sorry. I always, why do I always get those two women mixed up? In spite of uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, comments, otherwise, there's still going to be a push to impeach Donald Trump. And there's going to be, and I mean, you know what's interesting is that the young new House members are are rabid. They're absolutely rabid, as evidenced by uh, Kamala Harris and uh, uh, um, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, these people are a different breed than Nancy Pelosi. And I believe that's why the, R- the DNC made sure that Nancy was the Speaker of the House so that they could still retain control of how the House operates because they knew that if a younger member got control of the House, oh my goodness, this <laughs> we wouldn't even be able to describe what's going on. I don't think anybody would be able to keep up with what goes on in the House if we had somebody like Harris or Ocasio-Cortez or any of the ilk in charge of the House. I think as much as people hate Nancy Pelosi, I think we ought to be thanking God that, uh, I hate to thank God for evil things, right? (laughs) So I get to pause there for a second. Thank you, God, for the lesser of evils. Ah, okay, so, um, yeah, mm-hmm. Anyway, so we, we're we still seeing uh, the push. I mean, Ocasio-Cortez came out just a couple of days ago last week and said, you know, we're still going for impeachment. And then, of course, Nancy Pelosi came out on Friday and said, no, well, you know, we... La, 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 la. She never says no. She never says yes. But she's the uh, politician in all of this. And that's how the RNC and the DNC runs. You don't say yes or no about anything. You just go ahead and and do what you want to do in spite of what, what needs to be done, in spite of what the Constitution says it needs to be done. And you need to 
just do whatever's politically advantageous, financially advantageous for the individuals. Isn't that right? Can I get an amen in the crowd out there? <laughs> So anyway, uh, I think it's always good to to have a touchstone from time to time when these things come up so that we can have an educated conversation on certain constitutional issues. You know me, I like topical classes. Uh, I like topical uh, lessons and we do current events all the time and sometimes because Monday through Thursday is so short, you know, I mean, it's just... For me, for you, if you're listening on the radio, it's a full hour. If you're listening as a podcast, it's only 38 minutes. And it's, for me, it's not just 38 minutes. It's 12 minutes, then 5 minutes, then 12 minutes, then 5 minutes. And and it's really difficult to get really in-depth. So I like the weekend show opportunity where we actually have two segments to 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 get things done and we're trying not trying to cram all kinds of stuff in all at one time so we do have some other issues that we're going to be talking about not just simply impeachment from a constitutional historical perspective but we're also going to talk about the governor of north of north carolina the governor of new mexico so let me say that again so nobody gets confused the governor of mexico new mexico and what she's saying about the 33 sheriffs I think that's right. Let me look that up real quick. I got this information right here. Um, 33 counties in New Mexico have signed resolutions against the new gun laws. I don't know if that's 33 sheriffs, but that's 33 counties. So that could be the sheriff or the county commissioner or both, right? So we have 33 counties in New Mexico that are uh, engaging in the uh, justice and the check and balance of nullifying these gun control laws. And I want to talk to you uh, also today about what the governor of New Mexico is saying because her rhetoric, her error, is what we've been hearing for a very long time in argument against nullification as a whole, at least certain points. And I think that it's important that we talk about that. Maybe we'll go back and review what the law professor said and what the governor and the attorney general of Washington state said about the sheriffs nullifying their uh, gun confiscation laws. But so those are going to be our two topics for today. And since I promised you the show on uh, uh, during the Daily Journal, the show on impeachment, that's what we're going to start off with. Now, remember, if you are not listening to the Daily Journal, maybe your radio station doesn't carry it or you weren't even aware that we have a show Monday through Thursday, you can go to chrisannhall.com and you can listen there every day. You can also go to Google Music Play, iTunes, uh, TuneIn.com, JesusPod. There's a number of platforms. I don't even know them all. There's a number of platforms that are carrying our show and uh, uh, so uh, th- there's no reason why you should miss. You know, you can always sign up uh, for our emails. And uh, Chasey's working on this for me, but I, I haven't got it done yet. Uh, we're going to 
have a way for you to sign up to get our daily emails via text message. That way, you know, you, all you have to do is text something and then you'll get signed up for the daily emails. That way you're not relying on Facebook or Twitter or uh, YouTube to send you the notices because you know, I don't have to tell you this. They're, they are not, in, they are intentionally not distributing our stuff, intentionally not noticing you. And uh, we've questioned them on it and they've just said, you know, that's our decision. It's final. So shut up. Don't bother us anymore. You know, suck it up, drive on or go somewhere else. So um, there are, uh, there, that's where we are. So I want to talk to you about impeachment. Okay, so let's clip over to the impeachment section. There are four sections within the Constitution that deal specifically with impeachment. And if you're watching us on YouTube right now, they're up on your screen. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5. Article 1, Section 3, Clauses 6 and 7. Article 2, Section 4. And Article 3, Section 1. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5 reads, The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other offices and shall have the sole power of impeachment. Remember, when you have a question about how something is supposed to run, right? How something in the federal government is supposed to work. The source, the only real uh, immediate source for information is the Constitution itself. So don't listen to the law professor. Don't listen to the politician. Listen to the Constitution. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5 says the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment, which means it doesn't involve the Senate. It doesn't involve the president. It is the sole power of impeachment. What happens after impeachment? Well, what happens after? After impeachment is Article 1, Section 3, Clauses 6 and 7. The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. When sitting for that purpose, it says they shall be on oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside. And no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. So let's get that now. Impeachment comes from the House. Conviction comes from the Senate. So if you're thinking from a criminal law kind of perspective, the House of Representatives are the prosecutors who are creating the indictment. And in order for the indictment to be sent forward, the impeachment must be passed. So the impeachment is the indictment, okay? So when somebody says the president has been in, you know, Bill Clinton has been impeached, what that simply means is he's been indicted. So then it goes to the Senate to try the president or the federal officer on the charges of impeachment brought forward by the House. And in order for those charges for a conviction to take place, you have to have two-thirds of the members of the Senate to concur. It says, Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office, disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States, 
But the party convicted, now you know that's not political party, right? That's the party meaning the person. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the law. So this, what this is explaining to us is, number one, the House brings forward the charges of impeachment. Number two, the Senate convicts. Conviction of the, uh, the sentencing after conviction by the Senate is very limited. But it's important to understand that just because someone is impeached and convicted does not preclude them also being criminally prosecuted and convicted on a criminal level under the criminal laws of justice. So just because you're impeached doesn't mean that there's uh, you, you can escape your crimes. It doesn't invoke double jeopardy because the punishment is very limited and the burden of proof is is much different. So we're going to continue with this when we come right back. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Let's remind you this is our special edition on impeachment. And we're studying over Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5, Article 1, Section 3, Clauses 6 and 7, Article 2, Section 4, and Article 3, Section 1. Now, in review, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5 says that the House will have the sole power of impeachment. Article 1, Section 3, Clause 6 uh, establishes that the Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments and that when a person is convicted, uh, it must be done by two-thirds of the members of the Senate. Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7 establishes the punishment for conviction of impeachment and that punishment, it says, shall not, uh, shall be uh, that they are uh, to not hold, they're disqualified to hold and enjoy any office of honor. They are removed from office and uh, they are not exempt from being criminally prosecuted if the, uh, what, what they did to get impeached is a criminal uh, violation of statute in that way. So Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution explains to us who can be impeached. The president, it says, the vice president, and all civil officers of the United States. The president, vice president, and all civil officers. Let's just be clear, because that's anybody that is elected or appointed uh, working in government. And it continues, Article 2, Section 4 continues and says that they shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So if Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5 impeachment is completed and Article 3, Article 1, Section 3, Clause 6 is completed, then Article 2, Section 4 reaffirms that that person is to be removed from office. Now what's interesting is 
in my online reference, those of you who are longtime Chris Ann Hall show listeners, longtime Liberty First Brigade, uh, you know that uh, we we have uh, a training on Supreme Court, well, federal judges in general, right? And what's interesting, my online sur- source that you also know, my first go-to, is something called the Founders Constitution, published by the University of Chicago. It is both an online resource and a publication, which is seven written volumes, very huge volumes. The easiest way right now is just to go to uh, go to your search engine and search the Founders Constitution, open up the document that says uh, that it is published by the University of Chicago and go in there. Now in that in the contents page of the Founders Constitution, you find that they've identified like you see here on YouTube if you're watching us on YouTube, the four clauses for impeachment. And you'll notice that the last clause that they include in there is uh, article, or the last section they include in there is Article 3, Section 1, which includes the text, the judges, both of the Supreme and Inferior Courts, shall hold office, ha- shall hold their offices during good behavior. Now, is the word impeachment in there? Uh, No, it's not. But remember, a judge, a federal judge, whether it be an inferior or Supreme Court justice, is a civil officer of the United States. So then falls under Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution, identifying them as people that can be impeached. And Article 3, Section 1 establishes the violation for which a federal court judge is to be impeached. What is that violation? It is bad behavior. So uh, if you haven't had our Liberty First University class on the judiciary to understand what the creators of the judicial branch, how they actually defined Uh, good behavior and bad behavior. Remember, you can go to libertyfirstuniversity.com. You can register as a student there. You get access to all of our classes, including the judiciary class. Or you can go to chrisannhall.com and click on the shop tab, and you can purchase this particular DVD, The Judiciary, and understand what the very definition of good behavior is and bad behavior is, not based on Chris Ann Hall's opinion, but based always on what those men who actually wrote this section, who actually ratified the Constitution, meant when they wrote it. We will be right back. Arrogant men tear up our constitution And from every direction we cry around You can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal If you're watching us on YouTube right now I have up there a picture, a sample of our Liberty First gear. You can find our Liberty First gear at chrisannhall.com. The don't just pontificate, educate. And you know, I was we were talking, JC and I were talking last week about uh, the social, the anti-socialist protest that they're having in Washington State coming up, and uh, we 
we mentioned, hey, maybe they should get the T-shirts that said that we have at the Liberty First Gear store called "Socialists Suck," and uh, I, I was just, I was just wondering, just curious, what would it be like if our high school students wore T-shirts to school? That said, socialists suck. Would that word suck be an offensive word for high school? Maybe we shouldn't do that in high school. How about college students? Let our college students wear a t-shirt that says socialists suck and see what happens in the classroom. That could be a way of passive protest, right? You don't actually have to say anything. You just wear your t-shirt. And then what's cool is, uh, I'll pop this picture back up here again. Uh, it's got the faces of all of these evil socialist dictators, some of them mass murderers, right, on, on the front. So what's really funny is you got to get your, your, your professor then to, to argue with you that these people don't suck, right? <laughs> That's what Liberty First Gear is for, to start those conversations, to break that ice so that you can spread the message of truth. So we are talking about impeachment today, and we're talking about those clauses. So remember, the House uh, has the sole power of impeachment. The Senate has the sole power of conviction. If the president is being convicted, the chief justice of the Supreme Court has to preside over the Senate during the uh, conviction process if they're convicted, they are then removed from office. They can never hold office again, and they are not precluded from actual criminal prosecution. All the president, the vice president, all civil officers are open for impeachment, and so are justices. Which is interesting. Uh, well, I guess if the chief justice is going to be impeached, does the president preside? <laughs> I don't think so. That would be... In that would be the vice president, if anything. But nonetheless, that's where we are with impeachment. Now, from a historical perspective, there have been two presidents that have been impeached by the House. Remember, there's two procedures, impeachment by the House and conviction by the Senate. There is Johnson, who was the 17th president of the United States, who was accused of violating the Tenure of Office Act, among other crimes, the 1867 law required Senate approval before a president could remove any member from his cabinet who had been confirmed by the upper chain, uh, by by the Senate. The House voted to impeach Johnson February 24th, 1868, three days after he dumped his secretary of war and uh, a Republican named Edward M. Stanton. Now. Johnson was not convicted. He was spared conviction by one vote in the Senate. The other president that has been impeached is Bill Clinton. And uh, Bill Clinton, who's the, who was the 42nd, impre 42nd president, was impeached by the House of Res Representatives on December 19, 1998, for allegedly <laughs> misleading a grand jury about his extramarital affair with Monica Lewinsky in the White House and then persuading others to lie about it too. Now what's interesting here 
is remember the the section in the Constitution that says uh, Article One, Section Three, Clauses Six and Seven, where it says that if the Senate convicts, that doesn't preclude criminal conviction, uh, criminal trial and conviction as well. Johnson didn't really. Uh, he broke the uh, violating the office or the tenure of office act, but that wouldn't be a criminal violation of law. That would have been a a civil violation of law based on uh, the the fact that he's president and that sort of thing, which sets him up to be impeached. I, I think you could probably classify that law as an impeachment law because that's really what it's there for. If you do this, you will be impeached. However. Bill Clinton's allegations of lying to, he says, misleading a grand jury, which means lying to a grand jury, and then persuading others to lie are criminal offenses. So Bill Clinton could have been criminally tried for those, first being perjury, you know, lying to a grand jury. Secondly, persuading others to lie is called witness tampering. Both of those are criminal acts, and Bill Clinton could have been criminally prosecuted for those things. Now, neither one of these gentlemen were convicted by the Senate. Uh, Bill Clinton, as you know, was acquitted. And there's also always some questions about whether... Um, Nixon was impeached. Nixon was not impeached. He was really close to being impeached. But he resigned before he got impeached, which you're going to about to find out because I'm going to teach you that that doesn't resignation does not preclude someone from being actually impeached. There's a precedent that was established um, by the uh federal government, uh, that you can impeach someone after they are, uh, they've resigned office, after they've left office. I actually have an article on the com website, Impeachment, Words Have Meanings, where I lead you through the this, this history, and we'll get to in just a second, as an explanation to why Hillary Clinton could still be impeached even though she's not in office. Now, somebody might ask, what would be the value of impeaching someone who is not currently in office? Well, remember, Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7 says that when someone is convicted by the Senate, that, dis- that, not, that not only removes them from office, but disqualifies them to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. So if, if someone who is not currently in office is impeached and convicted, then they can no longer hold office in the federal government anymore. And that's why I talk about in this article titled Impeachment Words Have Meanings, the, the precedent that has been established to, uh, to impeach, still impeach Hillary Clinton for her crimes, actual criminal offenses, and the benefit would be she would never be allowed to hold office again. That would be the end. That would be the end of Hillary Clinton's 
presidential runnings or any other thing. If we get a new Democrat president that's not Hillary who wants to appoint her to some cabinet office or, or wants to hire her to do something, she she would not be because she would be precluded uh, with a conviction from the Senate. Continuing with our history, we have 17 other people that have been impeached, besides Johnson and Clinton, 17 other people who have been impeached since uh, the ratification of our Constitution. One senator, uh, William Blound, in 1797 was impeached because he uh, was accused of assisting Great Britain in uh, subverting our newly formed republic. So treason, he's a traitor to the country, and, it, and he, was, he was impeached for treason. The other person that was impeached was the Secretary of War. His name is William Belknap. And he's the one under which the precedent was established to to uh, impeach somebody who's not in office. So Belknap served as the Secretary of War under Ulysses S. Grant from October 25th, 1869 to March 2nd, 1876. Now, while he was Secretary of War, he lived, his, his very extravagant lifestyle and expensive parties came under question. Congress launched an investigation into his finances and found corruption that extended back to 1870. Uh, they, and at that time, he was only making $8,000 a year. Now, according to Senate records in 1870, and this is a quote, Belknap's luxury-loving first wife assisted in Wheeler Dealer name assisted a Wheeler Dealer named Caleb Marsh by getting her husband to select one of Marsh's associates to operate the lucrative military trading post at Fort Sill in, in, in Indian Territory. Marsh's promise of generous kickbacks prompted Secretary Belknap to make the appointment, and over the next five years, the associate funneled thousands of dollars to Marsh, who provided Belknap with regular quarterly payments totaling over $20,000. Some of the accusations against Belknap included indirectly selling weapons to France and for accepting illicit kickbacks in exchange for making political appointments, gun-running kickbacks, political deals for financial gain. I mean, can you think of anybody off the top of your head who has committed any of these things? So on, uh, according to the Senate records, on March 2nd, 1876, just minutes before the House of Representatives was scheduled to vote on articles of impeachment, Belknap raced to the White House, handed Grant his resignation, and burst into tears. Belknap's resignation did not stop his impeachment. And uh, the Senate records quote says later that day, members voted unanimously to send the Senate five articles of impeachment. And his uh, the chief accusation against Bill Na Belknap was, quote, criminally disregarding his duty as secretary of war and basely prostituting his high office to his lust for private gain. I mean, Seriously. 
does that not Im- does that not describe I, I can't even know. I guess at a number how many people that describes actually describes in the in in our government today. So we will be right back for our the end of our first segment today. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here. Remember, if you want this kind of excellent constitutional training, you can go to libertyfirstuniversity.com where we have online training. Uh, you can join up as a student and, uh, be, and learn the Constitution from its original intent perspective. Remember, we're talking about impeachment today. We're also going to be talking about the governor of New Mexico and her crazy statements against this, the 33 counties that are refusing to enforce these uh, gun confiscation laws in New Mexico. So just as a bit of history, only two presidents impeached, a senator, a secretary of war, and I didn't tell you this, but 17 uh, no, right? No, 15, sorry. 15 judges have impeached. So 19 people since the history of our Constitution have been impeached to presidents, uh, a, a secretary of war, a senator, and 15 judges. And I think the fact that we've had 15 judges impeached since our Constitution was established ought to be... Uh, Prove to us that it is possible and and practical to impeach a judge. Now, poor Thomas Jefferson said that that would rarely, if ever, happen. He said it was a like a scarecrow that impeachment was like a scarecrow, because here it is: you have the federal government checking and balancing itself, right? So, if you have a judge who's an activist judge, uh, subject to impeachment. If that activism actually benefits Congress and those in power, then why would our House of Representatives want to impeach a judge like that? And so that was pretty much Jefferson's argument. But we know that it has happened. And so, uh, you know, um, excuse me as I stumble over my tongue here. George Mason remarked, no point is of more importance than than that the right of impeachment should be continued. Shall any man be above justice? I think that deserves a little bit of pause, don't you? Should anyone in government be above justice? This double standard that we have for the people in government this double standard uh, where the people themselves, the average Joe on the street, would be criminally convicted, and those who work for the federal government are not even impeached, I think that establishes that the current American populace believes that some people are above justice. See, Belknap proves that congressional hearings used to actually have consequences. 
Congress used to exercise real power. Congressmen used to know their duty to their Constitution, the obligation to preserve liberty, their obligation to control the executive branch. Nothing about the Constitution or the power of Congress has changed since 1876. So what's changed? What's changed is the knowledge and the wisdom of the people and probably the courage of our congressmen. And so remember, Samuel Adams says, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. But on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. It's our responsibility ultimately to make sure that our congressmen do their job. And one of the most irritating things on my list for impeachment is when you go to your house rep and you say, why won't you impeach? And then they hand back to you this this justification, this excuse. Well, it won't matter if we impeach. The Senate won't convict. Well, you know what? I didn't hire my House of Representative to, to do things based on whether the Senate will do them or not. His job is his job, and I hired him to do his job. Think about it. If you went to work every day and your boss came to you and said, why aren't you doing your job? And you say, well, the guy next to me is not doing his job, so I'm not sure why I need to even do my job. You're going to get fired. We shouldn't accept any excuse like this from our congressmen either. The Constitution makes their job very clear, and that's the standard we ought to hold. And to not hold that standard establishes that we accept that some people are above justice. We will be right back. 